Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-host, a man who's trying to figure out his new place in the modern world, Mason Clark. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I am. I'm, I'm on the gruel drool life right now, dude. Cast Bone Crusher on two, Trigger Exalted, call it a day. I actually got to watch a lot of your stream. I'm kind of excited to talk about this deck with you during the Always Improving segment because it's a deck that I might actually just buy. But, uh, yeah, we are missing our co-host, Abe, today. I just want to give a huge shout-out to Abe. Abe has been crushing it in my absence, and he needed a break today. And I, I'm happy to give him one. Like, I think that one of the cool parts about having three co-hosts is that when you need a break, you get to take one. Yeah, it's a it's a nice you know change where there's only two of us. You have to get a guest or skip a week or push it down the train, and you know, and you know, when you do a podcast like this every week, you get to point twenty episodes. Your life kind of builds around like, okay, Mondays, you know, that's when we record. That's the podcast day. I, I structure everything around that. So if it moves, it's like got ramifications for everything in life. So it is one of the cool parts of having the the twa. Mason, one of the things that you like to do when you host the show is ask the coast a question. Mm-hmm. And my question is going to surprise you. What is the game that helps you improve the most at magic that is not magic? Ooh, that's hard. So all time, it's probably Card Fight Vanguard because I learned a lot of card game stuff. But I think that's a little bit of a, a cop out because I had to relearn a bunch of stuff for magic. I think the thing that taught me the most is probably Hearthstone, I think, kind of goes in there too. Hearthstone taught me a lot of different things that are like, when, so everyone talks about Hearthstone, it's like attacking and blocking and that sort of thing, and like also getting better at playing outside the box, because if you haven't played Hearthstone before, you have your turn, there are no phases, you can go spell, attack, spell, spell, attack, 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 spell, you can do anything you want, and that, that was really kind of helpful too for kind of getting better at getting out of the box, but I think that one gets talked about a lot. One of the things that Hearthstone really helped me with was how you have to embrace randomness, and Vanguard also helped me with that too, where if you can't like accept that there's a level of variance and handle that, it's going to be very hard to compete. And also that variance isn't your enemy by default, which is kind of the big thing. I think everyone kind of has to accept at some point, like variance is a part of magic and that's part of life. Deal with it. But sometimes cards that are higher variance or plays that higher variance are the things you have to do. And you can't just always try to min max these like middle of the road plays. You'll lose some games and that sort of spot. So that was really helpful for her. So it's like, Oh, I have to have, you know, my lightning storm deal three on this. So I'm going to play it this way. It's the only way I can win. My answer is going to surprise a lot of people. If you've played the great down moody or scum, if you're playing with a deck of cards, that is a game that actually helped me a lot in magic in playing to your outs and understanding the available things to you. So for those who don't know, I'm going to explain it in the terms of scum. Well, actually, no, I'll explain the great down moody because I actually think it's great day, great game and you should buy it. There are 12-12s, 11-11s, and so on, right? Like 10-10s, 9-9s, so on, all the way down to one, where there's one card, right? And the way that this game works is the same as Scum, if you've played it, where, except that you don't get to do runs. So you can play any number of the card that you have. The person gets to lead on that card, those cards, right? So I can play four 10s as my starting play. You have to, to beat that, you have to play four nines, four eights, and so on and so forth. And the way that this game works out is that I never lose in like the first three rounds. It's like basically impossible for me to lose because it, I just know 
the statistics of how many players are involved and like stuff like that. And it actually really helped me a lot in magic in understanding playing to my outs and sequencing because sequencing is really important in a game like the Great Down Moody or Scum. Scum, you gotta do runs, right? So, you, Mason, you could do like 12, 11, 10, 9 as a play. Whereas you, maybe some people play the Great Down Moody that way, but it, it's really important to do like, understand like what can people run what can people play uh and it's really helpful for understanding like how you're supposed to sequence your cards because you have it you have all your cards available to you at once in this game and in magic understanding that your entire deck is still available to you and how you can sequence to get those cards um i don't think that it was our podcast last week but i think jesse did mention some of this but there was actually another podcast. I think it was Midweek Magic. Whatever the the um, Game to See podcast is. Midweek Metagame. Midweek Metagame. Thank you. I actually think they actually dived into this last week. Where I, it made me think of this game. And that's the game that has helped me improve the most outside of Smash. Um, which I've been banned from talking about on this podcast. So. <laughs> not been banned from talking about smash <laughs> I, I like i like the joke though so right. just as long as we all know it's a joke yeah I don't, <laughs> even if the editor cuts this out <laughs> no no you don't need to cut it out i think that yeah. like if people hating me talking about smash is kind of funny because i actually think that like the obvious answer is smash for me where like magic actually helped me a ton in smash um, this week I got to play in my first Smash tournament in a while, and I did not have a game. I had one game where I got three stocked, but it was against the best K rule player in Utah, uh, and he's like top five K rule player in the world. He actually switched characters. It's really funny because like after the game we got to talking a bunch. He's like, "You should play K rule. Like if you actually love the character, I think that skill matters more in this game than like matchup spread." And in Magic, it, it's funny because, like, Magic has a balance of skill and matchup spread when you have deck selection. And Smash has a different one. They're not the same. In Smash, skill matters way more. Like, it's actually substantially more than Magic. And matchup spread in Magic actually matters substantially more. It, not substantially more. It's actually more even in Magic where, like, skill versus matchup spread becomes like a tug and pull and in smash that's not true but understanding your impact on a game in smash has actually helped me a lot in magic i get to be a lot more honest with myself so that would be my real answer if people didn't just attack me for talking about smash on this podcast let's talk about how i was improving though i was gonna go first because i missed the last two weeks is that okay mason yeah go off king I had every single person's deck by round two of the Oasis Games RCQ this weekend. I have a huge shout out to the cut. This is the Constructed Criticism Utah team. We crushed it. Every single player contributed that was at the tournament. We knew every player's deck by round two. And it was a huge help to me. Going into game ones, I knew what my opponent was playing. They did not know what I was playing. That's a huge benefit because I was playing Nia Wolves. They had no idea what I was playing. I think a lot of people assumed that I was on Black Red, Brixis, or like those decks. And I 
I know that two people told me that they kept hands accordingly, and I was not. I was on a deck that I've been working on for a while. If you were in the Discord, you knew, but like scouting was pretty great for me. Additionally, I had a really great conversation in Top 8 with the only player that beat me the whole day. His name is Zach. He is qualified for the RC in Atlanta. He has actually beat me the last three times we've played now because he beat me at the last RC we played in, and then he beat me twice at this one. And we talked about speed of casting and ended up understanding the day-night mechanic. We talked about reading and learning cards and how he had a lot of learning. He, he made a lot of mistakes, and I actually... I want to talk about winning through mistakes because uh, he gave me a lot of opportunities to win and he calmed himself down multiple times. And I think a lot of times people were like, the way that he did it was right. Like he read the cards, but he could only read the cards that were being played. He didn't get to just gain a retroactive experience versus something like Stormseeker. And so there was a turn where he took like 11 damage to Stormseeker plus another card during the night. And then after that game, he was like, dude, I cannot believe that I let you go to nighttime because I didn't main face cast a removal spell. And just understanding how the mechanics work, it was a really good conversation with a player that I really respect. It was really funny. During the top eight, I was like, I'm really glad that I'm playing against you. I think that you're like one of the better local players right now. And if I'm going to lose, I'm glad it's to you because... He was playing, of course, Brazer, which is a card I think that I told multiple people I didn't want to play against going into the weekend. And instead of being upset that I had to play this bad matchup, I just got to help a player improve and talk about the standard formats. We'll get into this later in the episode, but I actually believe the best deck is not even represented in our power rankings. Uh, what about you, Mason? I know that you, I don't know if this is modern or pioneer, but I actually like both of your lists for this. So I'm actually excited <laughs> to learn from you here. What was your yeah. improving moment? So uh, there was, and we talked about on the show some last week, but there's like the BNR with Yorion last Monday, and that really has changed modern a lot. You know, like we mentioned on the show, like the things that you are playing against and the rules of engagement are the same, but without Yorion in the format, kind of what you can do is open up to you. And from a more like personal standpoint, what I am willing to play as opened up where before I like the bar had to be better than four color for me to want to, you know, clear that bar. And while I think there are times their decks were at that bar or over it for the most part, it was just kind of four color ride or die. And so I got to really start exploring the format. And one of the decks that I had always said uh, was really good and old modern, but just couldn't compete with four color was gruel uh, combo is what I call it, where you have like devoted druid in your deck and you can make infinite mana uh, with the Luxor. I played that deck right when Streets of New Capenna dropped. I 5-0'd. I was like, deck's great, can't beat four color, put it down. And I I kept telling people, like, we every time we go around and come up, we're like, I have this Gruel deck. I know it sounds stupid, but it's just like a mid-range deck with a combo finish, and I think it's actually just really good. And But you just can't beat Yorion decks. It's just not possible. And so, you know, everyone kind of laugh or whatever. We're like, oh, okay, and move on. And so I did a lot of four color stuff, and then it was like, okay, kind of interested by Jun Saga, I'm kind of interested by this, and I'm kind of want to play my Gruel deck again. So I just picked up the Gruel deck, didn't change any cards from the week one Streets to Capenna, played it instantly 5-0'd, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let's try working on this a little bit and seeing like, okay, the combo stuff with a Devoted Druid Walking Ballista is cute, but maybe I can make my deck more efficient and much more of like a mid-range deck. Sort of in a 
Jun Saga-esque thing, but more aggressive. And I made changes to the deck and picked a bunch of cards to try and facilitate that. And it was a really interesting kind of uh, learning moment and process of like, okay, I have to solve for all these problems that no one's solving for because my deck isn't a Ponza deck. It like doesn't play any pillages, doesn't play Blood Moon. You have Saga, so you like can't Blood Moon people. So it, it's a really interesting thing where it's like my deck is similar in some pieces to those decks and similar in how some games play. But structurally and game plan wise, it's completely different. So it, it's funny. I remember a drunken night with you, me, and Matt Kling. We worked on a Jund Saga, and I was like, "This deck seems busted." And everything that you were doing with this deck reminded me of that night where we were like, "You're do it. You're just cutting the BS." Like we're obviously we can't do what we we're trying to do. I don't know. I loved it. I, I obviously joined your stream, but like, I think that people are really focused on a couple things. Like I'm debating playing my RCQ next weekend. If I was going to play, I would just play Marktide. I think for a lot of reasons, I didn't even get a look at the results, but I know that the people, the two people that we're going to learn lonely Marktide are no longer willing to do that because of the results from this weekend. So I assume Marktide did well. Got um, first and second in the showcase. Okay. I don't know beyond that. That makes sense. But I think that it then becomes a question of, okay, if Murktide becomes defaulto Jund again, which it is, it is Boomer Jund. That is what the deck is. Can you go over or under that deck? And I, I think Rule, the way that you have it built, asks important questions, right? It makes sure that they play things like Dress Down in the main. It makes sure that they play like Blood Moon in the main. And if they do play those things, it also asks questions of, okay, well, then can you be the other side of my deck? And I, I think that's an important question. Yeah, it, it, it's asking them a lot of weird questions, like you said. And, you know, part of the reason that I like this deck and drew towards this deck and Jun Saga is, I mentioned a bunch, you know, in a lot of different places in last week of the show, but like, you know, Recto Scam, Breach, Murktide Hammer, Indomitable Creativity. These are like the short list of decks I think are good blue-white. And a lot of those decks actually have a problem with like saga tokens pressuring them and getting interacted with at the same time. And so Jun does that in one way. This deck does it in a more proactive way. So just like you mentioned, the Murktide player, it asks a lot of questions them. And just generating two bodies in like a Shadow Spear or whatever is a lot for a Murktide deck to actually be. And like I took that to the next step where like if you saw my streaming, I had Springleaf Drum, and then I decided to change it to an expedition map, just so it's like, oh, now I have like another saga. Or I can get the Besaju, or I can get, you know, just a land if I need that sort of thing. And so, yeah, kind of like a 1 1 split there. I don't know if you actually got that deep, but I saw that you posted mm -hmm. kind of this in the Patreon Discord. But this is a deck that I, I'm legit considering buying in modern, as I think it fits my playstyle really well. And I don't think that it is out of the realm of possibilities for two or three color decks with Ren and Six to be a part of the format, right? Like, I don't even think that it's impossible that, like, four-color decks continue to exist, but it, it is, this pressures the format in an interesting way, so I like it. The coolest part is you have one flex slot. I played a Stormbest Dragon this weekend. I played a Vivian Reed. You can do whatever you want there. That's the coolest part. So. <laughs> I am in a Discord with Dan Gardner, Michaela Downs, uh, Podcast Patreon, Chase, and I was posting about the rule list that Kellen and you had talked to me about. 
Mm, for Pioneer. For Pioneer. And I was like, mm-hmm. here are my thoughts on this. If I go to Atlanta, I actually fully expect to play Gruul. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't even think it's a question at this point. Can't wait for the Brother Wars spoilers well, just start in just two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I hope there's some good Gruul cards. However, this podcast is about you, the people. And the patrons are involved in that. There are no new patrons this week. But I want to talk about a problem that's been happening. And it's not just with this podcast. So fun fact, Mason. Mm-hmm. I'm the producer of a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Patreon is not sending welcome messages right now. Huh. And so the way that our podcast, Drafting Archetypes, uh, Need to Nerd, uh, all of those have these welcome messages that get you into a special Discord. And they're not sending. And so they know that it's happening. People have told them. But we've had three three plus people complain that like they didn't get their Discord invite. It's actually not us. But if you just message me on Discord, just look for Spencer13H. I'll get you that invite. I promise it will happen. And I'm sorry for the inconvenience. Yeah, we'll just make a post, too, that just has a Discord link. Like, can we just make a post to have that up there until they have it fixed? Yeah, we could do that too. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll do both. Like, if you don't see it, let me know. But we'll we'll get it fixed. It was a huge problem for both our show and drafting archetypes this month. We had a lot of people being like, I didn't get an invite. You you're invited. I'm sorry. You know what's not got that problem though? Is Gangrid Lehigh, dude. Like, let's go! Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have been crushing it. You can get 10% off using the code CCMTG10. And for what it's worth, they're sponsoring our standard event. Mason, you're going to Cali, right, buddy? You're going no matter what. You're going to be there. I'm going to give you hugs. Yeah, I'm going to be in Anaheim. <laughs> yeah. I, we don't know that it's Anaheim. It could be anywhere in Orange County. Yeah, it could be anywhere that DreamHack goes to every year and has booked the venue for. Yeah, I'm joking. I'm joking. It, it could be anywhere. It could be anywhere. It's obviously <laughs> yeah. Anaheim. It's so funny. My wife this week was like, so a uh, podcast listener of the show, a uh, member of the cut, Patty B won the Oasis RCQ this weekend. My wife is like, how does he win an event that he wins a plane ticket to the event that they don't know where he's going? Yeah. It's an interesting question for sure. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? They know he's going into Anaheim. Like, <laughs> that's just factual. But uh, it's not. They, it could be like Anaheim adjacent. It might be like how SCG Philly is in King of Prussia. But DreamHack's a little bit more on the up about that sort of thing. But GameGrid does this really cool thing where no matter where you're going... No matter what the format is, you can get 10% off using the code CCMPG10 on their website. I want to be clear. This is only for podcast listeners in the U.S. But if you use the link in the show notes, uh, it gives us a kickback. And they also support us, Mason. They, they sponsor our events. The next RCQ is standard. Our next event is standard. They, in support of us... I have been informed, have made their next two RCU standard to support oh, nice. CCMTG. It's awesome. They're the last two events in Utah. Uh, I'm I'm super stoked. The link in the show notes will be for our event. Mason, do you know when our event takes place? 
December, I believe, 3rd. December 4th, 10 a.m. Mountain Time. That's 12 Eastern, 11 Central, 9 Pacific. You could play standard to get ready for whatever the heck is happening in February. <laughs> for DreamHack. But no, like 500 guaranteed from Game Grid Lehigh. We had uh, our one of one of our players actually for our last event was not local to the U.S. Still got their money, still got their cards. They had friends in the U.S. from playing Magic. Isn't that like the coolest part about Magic? Like this person is like, oh, this only ships to the U.S. But because I have friends from all my times playing tournaments, I still get to play. Yeah, it's super cool. It is weird to think of how many people have entered and become a part of my life and and part of other people's lives too, just because of magic and like you know, this global game that we play. Let's go into our main topic though. We don't need to go too into game grid. They're amazing. You should check them out. Mason, we planned this episode before there was any idea of a banning. Yep. <laughs> we actually, we, it like we actually, th- this was supposed to be a standard mega rankings episode. That's, We're going to go over everything. Yeah, that's not what's going to happen. Because we don't have two months of data. We We're have over one, all the magic online events, though. We have one done. week of data. <laughs> that being said, Mason, I'm going to do something really different. Usually, the entire episode would be dedicated to the power rankings. I don't want that. I want you to give us our top six decks. What are the top six decks in standard based upon NTGO results. Yeah, so using the power ranking system Frank Parson present, uh, number six is Grixis Midrange with five points, Mono Blue Delva with seven points, five color Kami Control with 12, three, uh, third place is Jund Windgrace with 19 points. We have uh, second place Jund Midrange at 23 points, and then Esper Midrange at 28 points for the number one deck. Are you surprised by these? Uh, not super duper surprised i mean i am a little surprised at mono blue delver but also i think sometimes with these things you know if one person were like two things push through sure uh, it can kind of happen but Wait, what, i was surprised to see that one so early on what's really funny is that i actually think that the sunday rankings were actually mm-hmm. based upon the saturday finishes we actually had less players in the saturday tournament and people just picked sunday decks they liked I think also the start time is a little different too. Um, it is, yeah, that's yeah, actual. Yeah, yeah. So, and it always kind of throws things off with the challenges in such a weird, like uh, you know, kind of see like, oh wow, why all the Europeans always F- top it? Funnily the enough, ones, the, the player. One. So uh, we can just start with this point. Jund mid range won both challenges. Fun fact: the person that won the Saturday challenge with Jund mid range took, I think, sixth place with Jund Wind Grace on Sunday. For the listeners, what's the difference between Wind Grace and oh, Mid Range wh- from a like yeah. a high level standpoint? This is a great question. One of them is Boomer Jund. Like this, so the Jund Mid Range deck uh, that is in second in its power rings is like you are Boomer Jund. Like you're an aggressively slanted Jund deck that is trying to get a lot of value out of your cards that are not like based upon anything other than their base set values does that make sense like mm-hmm. the person that took first on for example saturday 
had three. I think it was one of my sleepers in the pick two set. Workshop War Chief? No, not that one. That that's not the card. Unleash the Inferno. Yes, that one. They had three Unleash the Inferno. That card is actually pretty insane in this metagame because of the way that the format has set up. Just for the sake of it, since I think it might be helpful because standard, you know, is a little less played these days. Unleashed in front of is the one black, red, green deal seven damage to target creature or planeswalker. When it's dealt excess damage this way, destroy target artifact or enchantment opponent controls with mana value less than or equal to the amount of excess damage. So kind of a wardy weird card, but basically two for ones a bunch. I think it actually probably three for one for them a bunch that weekend looking at the results. And I, I was a little surprised to see them switch to Jund Wind Grace. And I'll talk about why. Unless you want to highlight anything else on the power rankings before I go. I, I was just rereading the card. Okay, I, cool. We're going to have a go. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that the fact that they switched after winning is weird. Especially considering Jund won the next weekend. Like, they won, they switched, and Jund still won. They took sixth. There's a lot of things happening here. One... I think the Esper question looms large. I think I think specifically we've really crushed it, Mason, in our pick two set reviews the last two the last year. Like, I don't know if you looked at Pioneer, Standard, Modern, and and stuff, but like, holy crap. Do you remember what my number one card was for Streets of New Cabena? It's a one-four flyer. Oh, it was uh Rafine. Rafine. Rafine looms strong in this standard format. If you cannot answer Rafine and Rafine gets to attack with anything that comes into play before it, like you're in trouble. And I think that like Wind Grace as a deck that I know other podcasts are really high on, I think is the most beatable deck, beatable deck in standard. I, I don't actually think it's close. I think that it has a lot of problems where you can go under it, you can go over it, you can... Uh, I did have a really cool moment, though, this weekend, where, because I've been playing so much Arena, my opponent responded to their Wind Grace trigger by discarding a land. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've never done that! i played this deck, like, 32 times! Because F Arena... And he was like, oh, I didn't realize this till somebody did it against me on Arena. And I realized that I always had to be full control of or on Arena in order to make this happen. And I was like, yeah, no, funny. it's super obvious once you did it. Like, I'm just a moron. That's funny. It's not funny. It's actually bad. It's it's so funny. I did I did Elmoto the other day and I was playing Jun Saga because I put Wind Grace in that. Yeah. Because getting back to yeah. Saga is kind of strong. But uh, it was just funny because I did that. So, so talk about it. What are we talking about here? So... You play a you play a Wind Grace. What happens? So yeah, so for you know, the Lord Wind Grace is one in the Jun colors for a five four. When it ETBs or attacks, you can put a land from your graveyard into play. And Wind Grace has three activate abilities: it has green, discard a land to gain three life; one in a red, discard a land, draw a card. And then I think it's three in a black. Maybe it's four in a black. Discard a land, and then Jun uh, Lord Wind Grace gets indestructible and tap it. So with the Wind Grace trigger on the stack, if you had, let's say, a green leftover, you could just discard a land to it to put the land in play. And so if you were going to make a land drop for the turn anyways, let's say, you didn't have a use for your mana, you just gain three life for free, essentially. And um, in standard, there's actually just a ton. Like, you have the cycle lands, you have the, the tri-land gain life 
Evolving Wilds, like, this mm-hmm. this person was able to, like, the second they did it, I was like, I'm a moron. Like, the number of times that I played this on four because of my Tryland, instead of waiting on five to sequence my lands differently, was inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Because if you made this card cost green, green, red, black, one, it's actually just an insane five drop. Like, you gross. You can't for life. It's really good. It also, I, I want to talk a little bit about Wind Grace. I know we're talking a lot about this whole thing. I think a part of the reason the Wind Grace deck has gone down is before, you know, that we, we've heard some people talk about and people talk about how, like, you have to have some way to use the mana Wind Grace outside of its own abilities to really manifest, like, what to take advantage of that extra land it gives you. And some people have turned a time to industry, but I think Meat Hook Massacre was secretly just, like, a great way to use that. And that was part of the strength of like Wind Grace and Meat Hook, right? It's like you got to, you know, use your, uh, I think it's Riveteer's Overlook is like the Jund one, um, where you just like, you know, you get your gain your three life from the land entering, whatever, that's fine. You go, you know, search for the land, you flood out a little bit, and then you go Meat Hook for like four, play a two drop, or whatever, play a three drop. And that was really easy to do. And that's a good way to spend all your mana and kind of swing the game. I don't think they have really adjusted for ways to use their mana. And I don't think having one or two time of industries is enough for that. Well, what's so funny is that I think that we actually see that in the results. I think that a lot of people are turning towards um, the Rhino. What's his name? Uh, Workshop Warchief? Yeah, Warchief actually. Huge uptick this weekend. I don't know if you noticed that, Mason, but Mm -hmm. just a huge uptick in, like, number of representation between Jun Midrange, Jun Wind Grace, and other decks. So, for one, I think that Wind Grace is super beautiful. I didn't get to talk about it during my Always Improving segment, but I went 3-0 and versus Jun Wingrace with Naya Wolves for my RCQ. A lot of them were listening to Jerry Thompson. I knew their list. I knew what was happening. Here's the thing. I don't think Jun Wingrace is that bad, but I do think that if all you're trying to do is go Fable into Wingrace, you're going to lose to Gruul, Mono Red, Naya. Like, any aggressive deck is actually going to beat you. Like, that is not a reasonable plan against an aggressive deck. So you need to have a better plan there. That doesn't mean your deck is bad. You just need to have a plan. I do think finding some other way to use your mana might be the thing. And it might just be like an early card that gives you a better mana sink in the mid-game. I'm unsure exactly what there is to do in that sort of card pool. But it is, you know, interesting. And it is one of those classic things of, like, as a Jun deck, you have... Well, not Jund, as a mid-range deck. Typically, Jun decks are mid-range decks. But, you know, you need to walk that line of, like, okay, I am not too slow that the aggro decks beat me. I'm not too, you know, linear and low to the ground where the control decks beat me. And it's hard when the format surrounding this is, for the most part, very grindy. You know, we mentioned a mono blue Delver deck. There are some aggro decks, you know, Spencer mentioned playing Wolves, they're mono red decks, but it is hard to like figure out that line, especially, you know, if your opponents just, you know, try to aggro you out on a weekend, you might have just picked the wrong cards for the weekend. Let's talk about five color combi control though, because I actually think this deck is attacking from a really special angle. I want to be clear that I believe this deck has a weakness. It's not mentioned in our power rankings, but like this deck can't possibly beat blue red control with like Leer. Yeah, this this deck probably has a huge Leer problem. 
But man, does it like, like, let's look at these decks that we're talking about here. Other, I mean, even Mono Blue Delver, like, it doesn't do anything that Mono Blue Deviler cares about a lot other than the fact that Mono Blue gets to play like a bunch of mana leaks. And then like Grixis, Jund, Jund, Esper, like it's attacking from a really special angle. And what's funny is that a lot of people wanted like Invoke Justice to be the special angle. And there were multiple Invoke Justice decks that did not do well. Whether it's Mono White Invoke, whether it's Nanya Invoke, whether it's like there were a lot of people that were trying to do special things, but Mono Blue Delver actually keeps those decks down, where I don't actually know that it does it here. Mm. Like, it could, like, depending on how you build your Delver deck, it could keep common control out. But I I actually think this deck is attacking from a very special angle, where you get to be a Shieldra deck, you get to be a, like, all the, you get to play all the best cards. And that's weird because the only thing that punishes that is that blue-red control deck with, like, Field of Ruin, Cleansing Fire, Leer, and that nothing else punishes this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of a, a interesting example of, like, the you go super big, but, like, kind of like we're talking about the Jun thing, but this is, like, the, the, all, the full end of, like, I am the biggest end game there is. Like you need to have something that meaningfully interacts with the way I function or like diametrically opposed to me. It, it is really interesting. Do you think these decks, when looking at the comic control list here, I'm going kind of just like clicking through them. Do you like the way they're kind of working towards winning the game with things like herd migration in the commie war is like no. kind of the main things or okay. What do you like? No, I, I think that, um, these decks have a problem where, like, they're not sure where they're supposed to be. I think this deck will actually get better. This is actually one of the decks I'm worried about where, like, there's a lot of opportunity for this deck to get to tempo the format. Joint Exploration seems like a huge ad for this deck where I don't think people are playing this, but, like, I, I see this deck going down this, like, um, remember how, like, Soltai was two years ago? Uh, during Ultimatum? Yeah, like, where it's, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. this, like, no, like, you're gonna have to really punish me, like, and the thing is, is that Liliana and Removal Spells put a, such a good squeeze on the format, I actually think this deck moves up, eventually, right? Like, I think that if they go down this joint exploration route, they will actually end up in a place where, like, it'll push out things like Mono white humans, which I think is pretty good. We didn't talk about that yet, but like mono red, which also got a bunch of points this weekend. I think joint exploration adds a ton to this deck that we haven't seen yet. And I expect that outside of Delver, uh, it's a pretty big get. Let's go into mono blue Delver though, because I actually think this is the best budget deck by a substantial margin. Um, it includes cards that a lot of us had. Uh, in our pick two set reviews, including you, Mason. What is this deck? Yeah, so it's like Delver Secrets, Hottie Jin, and Tolarian Terror. And if you don't remember those last two by name, Tolarian Terror is the blue Gurmag Angular, and Hottie Jin is the like Goblin Electromancer meets Crackling Drake Fusion. And so the deck plays that, and then what you would expect from a mono blue deck, where it's just like a little bit of cantrip, a little bit of disruption, 
uh, and a little bit of bounce. And it's kind of the, the whole thing with some protection spells in there, you know, a couple short ups, a couple slip out the back, and then just 21 islands is what this person played. You can probably yeah. play Notawara, but yeah. You know. So hold on. So there's a lot of things to talk about. One, this deck is doing well with a really, we me honest, like it's a bad deck list. Like they're playing Essence Scatter, just worse than the other cards they could play. They're playing 21 islands when there are better mana bases you could play. I also think that like the 4-4-4 creature split probably is incorrect. Listen, I'm willing to be wrong. I played this deck in 20 matches today, Mason, to prepare mm-hmm. for this podcast because I had a sick day. My throat, if you cannot hear it, is like not the greatest today. I, mm-hmm. I played this deck a time. I, I think this is the best budget deck in standard and also has really good matchups. There are a lot of cards. The two one that are always improving for this month is to have better card names. And I already am messing this up. The two one, is it mischievous? Mischievous. Mischievous. The two one that sacrifices for one blue. What's the sacrifice do? It makes them pay two. It 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 it's only non-creatures. It it spell pierces them. And then it, it has disturbed. It becomes a oh, that's the uh, the um, the hermit, the mischievous oh, hermit. Is it mischievous hermit? I think that is actually some, right. something like it. Yeah, uh, I think that card's really good. I think Ledger Shredder is another one. I think four, for example, of the fight, the Telerian Telerian Tear, like malevolent hermit. Malevolent hermit is a really good uh, Ledger Shredder. Really good Telerian. Tear is not needed to be a four of. Like, you draw so many cards in this deck. I, I play this deck a ton. Like, I will be doing multiple deck techs this week. This will be one of the decks that I talk about. But um, one of the cards that's really good in the mirror, for example, as you will see more people playing this deck, as it is such a good budget deck, is actually Ledger Shredder. That card is punishes decks. This This deck has a ton of good cards. A ton of options to the point where you're not actually sure of your numbers. Like, I think this deck is the best budget deck, even above Mono Red Mason, which has, in my opinion, like, it would have been our next honorable mention. Like, it's really good. And then my last talking point for the standard is Aggro Still Struggling. Like, Mono Red and Gruel. Mono Red did put up some numbers. If you are a patron, you'll be able to see those. I'm going to post them in the uh, the Discord, but I'm a little surprised. Like, I played a ton of Gruel Mason. There's a lot of cards I want to talk about. One, the four mana red Planeswalker Jaya. Mm-hmm. Absolutely insane. Actually insane in this deck. The ability to Gruel modify and the ability to be able to attack with modified creatures real easily at different parts of the curve this deck does really well. I have never not 3-2'd plus a, a Arena League with Gruul. Like, I, I think this deck is got game against everything. And I'm a little surprised, but that is not what happened on Geo. Like, Aggro got crushed by the pure amount of black mid-range decks, and I want your thought on it. Yeah, it's kind of a, a hard hill to kind of go up because it's not like the black mid-range decks are lacking in creatures and are heavy in spells right 
which is sometimes what you'll see happen is like the midridge decks have like let's say 13-ish creatures or whatever and then they have a bunch of spells and then you know the gruel deck or whatever it is of the format gets underneath them kind of snowballs hey like hey cards these days are so much more value than they were back then so having it hit you a couple times plus the little incidental value that really amounts up to enough where i can you know, kind of burst through if i get to the late game i'm trying not to get there but if i do i can still kind of beat you where now all these creatures that you play early they can trade off and block but also generate you know a little bit of value along the way and kind of make it harder for you to push through so an example might be like graveyard trespasser it's just like a decent sized body probably gains you a little life when it comes in and then you know trades off with one of your cards and then if you have to use a removal spell to clear it well you're going down in cards so you better hope the game does not get to a point where it's about card instead of life and they have all these things on the curve where they're trying to come out too you know like rafine for example like those decks build themselves in the way they go two into rafine uh, so they can do that, and that makes it just able to block and sort of generate their own passive value. What I said about creatures before is true for this deck as well. So it's a very interesting kind of place to be. For me, like, I, I've been crushing Esper, for example, with Gruul. But it's like, that doesn't reflect the matchup. I think it's like a 55-45 type of matchup. And it's like, okay, is that where you want to be against the best deck? I think, I think most people feel like Esper's the best deck. I think we knew that going into the bannings too, where like it only played one meat hook main. It only, it didn't need it, right? Like the, the creatures that it was playing already buffered its life total. Like I'm just a little surprised that like Esper was able to keep out Gruul, Mono Red, Naya. It didn't do it against Jund, right? Like Jund obviously was able to like, be an aggressively slanted mid-range deck that got over the top of Naya or, or of Esper. I'm a little surprised to see a Lapica representation for like the other colors. Like the three mana Chandra, for example. That's one of the best cards in standard, in my opinion. I, it's very good. I I'm a little shocked. It's funny because like the Esper decks. The best ones, in my opinion, play like uh, Make Disappear, and on the other end, they play Invoke, right? And that is a squeeze that is really interesting, where they don't actually play Liliana. They actually just are like, no, we're going to ignore this, and we're going to squeeze you on these axes. What are your thoughts on that? Um, Well, for, for starters, it's not super surprising to see where we're at right now, where people are moving a bit away from Liliana. Obviously, the card's very strong, but like you get into these Liliana arms race, and that's actually a way to end up losing to those aggro decks. Talked about before, so you're leaning too much on Liliana because you can't pack the board, kind of like I talked about before. Um, but it, it is an interesting sort of place to be where it's like, okay, how do I beat the invoke despair stuff that kind of you know overwhelms me and generates this huge advantage for one side of the table while also trying to play around things like make disappear and also like the expert decks, you know. Have cards like Sarah Paragon, so if I don't get too much on board because I'm trying to respect both these cards, they can get really far ahead if I spend my time being like, okay, I'll answer your thing. I'll just let Invoke be a shock that draws you a card. That's fine. And, you know, I go Sarah Paragon, replay with Fiends, go. It's like a really hard dynamic to kind of beat. And then that's not even counting things like, um, I think it's Rafine Schemer, which is like the unsummoned 3-1. That uh, connives when you play it, and like no, there's no, a lot of different ways you can play. It, so it's either one blue or one blue, black colorless, or is it? 
It's it's one in Esper, but you can do yeah. it. It's got the weird hybrid Esper. Yeah. Where it's always blue and then it has Esper hybrid, Esper hybrid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I, I think that um we actually saw one of the Esper decks that did well this weekend. I think played three of those main. Mm-hmm. It was really leaning on like the tempo advantage that Esper offers. And, and I think also kind of leaning like what you said, right? Like there's that weird squeeze. If a lot of people aren't doing this sort of thing, they start playing around it a little bit and you play that kind of card, it really punishes them. Yeah. Let's go into your talking points that we've covered all of mine. I want to talk about mono white. You actually didn't cover this. Do you know what the best mono white performing deck was from this weekend? I know that the invoke justice one got like top eight in at least one of the events. I don't it know. Got top four. That was, top that four, was the yeah. best mono white deck. But there was a Boros deck, and I think that's closer to what you're thinking of. Yeah, the, the mono white deck to me is mono white with Fable the Mirror Breaker for kind of grinding and sort of activating Fable with a lot of your good creatures. So, like, if you haven't seen this deck, it's kind of like Wandering Emperor, AO, etc. But really, the, the standout cards are Fable the Mirror Breaker, which is one of the best grinding cards, and then Sanctuary Warden, which is one of the best grinding cards, and Fable plus Sanctuary Warden. It's a really powerful sort of end game that lets you kind of burst through all these mid-range mirrors. And this deck kind of gets on board so that it doesn't immediately kind of die to the pressure that something like a Gruul or Wolves or Red is trying to do. And also lets you kind of trade I off like, against the I like that you grew, Nobody but me is playing Wolves. I just want to be clear. You could argue Mono White is a Wolves deck because it plays the Spirited Companion, which oh, is a doggo. let's go! Uh, so, you know, it's kind of how you look at it. But yeah, but like, you know, that is like one of the things. in this deck, uh, basically every single challenge puts up one top eight kind of just one and done's every single one you look at. And I think it is a very strong strategy that is uh, a little under, I think explored and everything it can do. We're seeing some cool stuff. Like right now, the person who top eight, this one has their four ring announcements in the sideboard. We see this be main deck before. And there's a lot of cool things I think you can do along those lines, but the white decks are, they look to be a little underpowered compared to some of the other decks, but they kind of do have this big burst potential and these sort of end games that they reach that do way overpower people and things like Sanctuary Warden really take over the game. I don't think we need to talk about Fable of the Mirror Breaker being a strong card. I think players recognize that. But, you know, the Restoration of Ganjo, a really strong card, especially when it flips over and getting that getting back, you know, your Fiend Informants, your Cathar Commandos, your Spirit Companions, all those sort of creatures have implications in the rest of the format. So... Just kind of a solid deck. I want to give a real look into... Listen, I I love Oasis. I will love them forever. Mason, can I give you a look into the direct Oasis metagame this weekend? Sure. Uh, We have Genwin Grace. Grixis midrange. There was one Grixis deck. Genwin Grace. Black-white midrange. This is like big black, little white. I don't mm-hmm. actually think they were playing a planes. Nye Invoke, Junwin Grace, Esper Mid, Jun Midrange, Mono Black Midrange, Mono White Aggro. Not not invoke. Like straight up mono white. This person lost for top eight. Uh Esper Midrange. Grixis Midrange. Red White Midrange. Those were the decks that were not our team. The top eight was Spencer, Nia Wolves, QJ, former co-host, Esper Midrange, Zach, the only Grixis player, top eight, 
Adam, gen mid-range, like, pretty close to the one that we talked about in the show, uh, with multiple, the, the Rhino, what is it called? Workshop Work Chief? Yeah, Workshop Work Chief. James was classic Red Black. Nick, pretty close to classic Esper, not playing the Invoke version. Patty B won the event with Esper, and then Josh Black White, that big, big black, little white version deck that I talked about. Here's the thing: Black is putting a strain on this format. I think I think that's clear. I don't think that it's a problem though. You can beat Liliana with red, green, white. You can beat black with a lot of things, actually. One of the things that I would say for final thoughts for this, before we get into Esper, is that the black and range decks are beatable. What What are your thoughts on the Esper group, though? Because I actually think I'm going to get too deep into this. Yeah, so moving away from Mono White, the, the other part point I had was Esper and specifically how one thing that um, Derek has mentioned a lot, which I think is right when I watch him stream the standard challenges is that the Esper deck. Now a lot of matchups really relies on kind of curving out, especially in the early games in order to kind of win some of the bad matchups. And I think Derek sees that as a negative. And I think there are ways to see that as a negative. No, I, I think, think I think it's a positive. I actually think Esper has the best man and the best creatures to influence this. And that's why Esper is doing the best, is that Esper gets to do anything it wants. It's creatures at the mana curve. It's mana at the mana curve. It's It gets to do things early and often. And because of that, its curve is the level zero. Like, if you cannot beat Esper, your deck is bad. Mm. It's the end of the discussion. Do you disagree? Not really, no. I, my, my main point was basically what you, you started saying there. So, Well, what are we saying? Are we saying that, like, the 2-3 lifelink is good? The 2-2 death touch is good? Like, there's so many points to the mana curve. I think what I would try and say into Bertrand listeners is more that while, yes, in some matchups, it will fail to curve and then lose the game because it gets overpowered or whatever. There are all those matchups where it kind of has this push potential where it can kind of break through these bad matchups and just run over anyone that even like a reasonable matchup because its curve is so strong and all the bodies interact so well in different spots and has like these weird pinces and squeeze like we talked about in the format from, you know, the force of the unsummons to make disappear to invoke despair. There's a lot of different like ways that things can kind of end up hurting you. And then the creature curve really sort of makes it so that beating those cards becomes harder and harder because make disappear while strong early is really strong at preventing a card like your opponents invoke despair from actually resolving. And that's when it's really at its best. You know, you don't really, you can use that in the early turn against Nagra deck, but you love to use it against their big payoff card. What are your thoughts on the mid range decks? Like we're going to ignore gruel, ignore mono red, ignore mono blue. You've got these Rakdos, Grixis, Jund, Esper. Like, how would you rank these decks? Um, if I had to rank them, I think I would go Esper 1, Grixis 2, 
Jund as a whole three for the mid-range decks. Um, I think the Wind They're Grace combining stuff, Wind Grace and mid-range. Yeah, I, I am just because like I think until the Wind Grace decks get a better use for their Wind Grace mana, and they kind of solve that problem, I think it's just sort of. Jun mid range. It's like Jun with Wind Grace, right? Like it's the yeah. same deck. I I actually agree. Yeah, yeah. I think for the most part, that is like the the most played thing or whatever. Um, and I think until they really use their mana in a more efficient way, or have some stronger late game play or some way to sink that mana that they're getting extra use out of, it is just kind of a mid range deck. It's with so a, funny. A it's like the the only deck that I've seen in a long time. I'm a mm-hmm. Lotus Cobra super fan. This is like the most Lotus Cobra deck that doesn't have Lotus Cobra. But like, if you had Lotus Cobra, you're like, oh, this deck is broken. Yeah, we just lost her too. Yeah, like, it would be so good. But like, you don't have it. It It's a year off. I have a different approach. I think Grixis is the best deck in standard. I don't think it's close. I think Esper is the most played deck. And so it's given those results. I think that Corpse Appraiser is the best card in Standard. And that seems wild, right? Like, it's just like a 3-3 that, like, draws you a card. But it draws you a good card. And it's good in the aggro matchup. It's good in the mid-range matchup. It's good against anybody that's trying to counter your stuff before it. Corpse Appraiser does too much. Thing number two is Esper. I, I would put that at number two. I think that... Esper is not clear on its identity. There are too many people believe they have the right Esper build. And they don't. Like, somebody's right. I don't know what it is, Mason. Do you? Not really, no. And also, it's one of those things where it's like, your Esper deck probably has to change week to week and how big or small your removal spells. Like, well, that's gotta hold on, be- hold on. There are things that are true, though. What are the things that are true? Well, I mean, Rafine the Schemer, with yeah. the Scheming Seer, it's got a weird name. Rafine, the three drop, is like a really strong card that's like kind of a flag post curve card. And like that is something that is pretty strong. Okay. I would argue so that you Tenacious Underdog. Something, something before that. Yeah. Like, like I think Tenacious Underdog. I think like, for instance, I think a lot of people are playing Tenacious Underdog and there's Phyrexian Missionary, I think is the name, where it has Kicker, you can bring a creature back. Like, I like the, are, I like the two three the two three lifelink one for what it's worth. Yeah, so like there's a bunch of different two drops that you can play, and we're seeing a lot of different people play a lot of different twos. There are even other ones that I've seen play before that I could see play again. Like Rafine's Informant is one that like if your deck had something that battered the graveyard, where you're trying to like maybe you know cheat on lands or have too many lands, you know Rafine's Informant's a good curve card that works with Rafine as well. So like there's a lot of different ways you can have the early things, and then the type of things you want might. Uh, change for example you mentioned like in Dinek the pious apprentice that has some really strong text to it but it might also change where maybe that text is not as good one weekend and you rather have the three two body from a rafine informant or like any other random thing where maybe you just want a bunch of phyrexian missionaries because there's a lot of wraths and you're like i just want to get my two that, ones that's the flashback the the here one that like gets a random thing uh, it's an, it just returns target creature it's, from the graveyard to your hand. It's the two drop with kicker, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the, yeah, the that far card, one. That card seems so good. I had a conversation with one of our podcast listeners about this card specifically. 
Mason, you're the one that has a thought on the Esper curve. I want to hear your thoughts before I give mine. Let me move the editor. My main point was what we talked about at the beginning that you went on how the curve is kind of strong. That was the kind of all no, I was really I, talking about. Did we already do it? Did we already yeah. go there? Well, yeah, I was trying to get there and then you kind of no, said that's what I was going to say. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if we already got there, that's on... fine. I yeah. think Esper is the. It has so many cards. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Especially the two drop spot. Like, I watched Quentin and two other people play where, like, Esper was insane. Every person I would expect to win or top eight an RCQ with Esper did it this weekend. I was unlucky. I didn't get to play against them. I would have beat them. <laughs> but, like, holy crap. This deck's mm-hmm. so good. It's really good. Yeah, it has a lot, like you mentioned, a lot of different ways to move it. And probably that will be a pretty key part of it, I think, will be making sure you're moving your cards to what's going on around you. Because people are going to adjust to you. If it was the most being, deck. I would rank mid-range decks number one Grixis. I think it's the best deck not close. I think Corpse Appraiser plus Fable of the Mirror Breaker plus all the things that that can do is the best by like a lot. Esper's number two. I think that the two drops, while you don't always get to play Tenacious Underdog, are way better overall. And have a lot of versatility in what they kind of do, right? In the game yeah. they can play. So, it makes sense. I think number three, I would put any white-red deck. Sure. I don't I don't know that it matters what it is. Whether it's Naya, whether it's obviously like uh, there was one deck that went Mardu. Uh, there was one deck that went like White Red gets Mardu should get Soul Transfer, right? Like it's free to play Soul Transfer, which is one of the best cards in standard. And we have to understand what that looks like. But Mardu's not good. Why isn't it good, Mason? I mean, it's mana. It's just much worse than the other decks' mana. So much worse. You have to play the colors that you get the the Trilands, right? Like, mm-hmm. so Naya's better. Jun's better. It's it's only allied ones, right? So yeah, only allied color stuff can function without that. So how how do you beat this? You can either go way bigger or way under. That's kind of the the easy answer, right? When you're trying to beat these mid-range decks, you need to find something like the combi control deck, which has like a bunch of the same cards they do, along with big. They get all the colors, though, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but you have like the best threat for whatever mid-range deck you think will be the most represented at the event, and then you just have a bunch of removal for the aggro decks. You you hope the removal is good enough, and then you know you kind of do your thing, uh, or you go under it and you do maybe something like mono blue, mono red, something like that, where you kind of try to askew and forego those sort of game plans and circle around and play you know these kind of linear games. Okay, so I I don't want to wrap this up because like I gave my thoughts. Do you disagree with my power rankings for mid range decks? Like I have races one. That's really far off from the power rankings. 
I, I gave you my rankings before, and I said Grixis was two, so it can't be that far difference in us, right? It, it's one and two, right? Like Grixis yeah, and at- Naya, or sorry, Esper, are mm-hmm. one and two. It's not close. Mm-hmm. If you want to beat creature decks, Grixis is better. If you want to beat spell decks, Naya, or sorry, Esper is better. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. You know, this is like the week one stuff, right? So like things are going to change. And like if a better version of the blue deck pops up, what happens with that in the context of the rest of the format versus also like how the combi control decks get better at sort of figuring out exactly what they need to fight and getting they better seem, and better at that. They seem bad against mono red, but I've actually played against them a bunch with mono red. Mm-hmm. They're not that bad. The five color combi decks actually seem good against everything we talked about. I mean, well, we talked about a bunch of mid range decks, right? So, like outside yeah. of mono blue, like having this sort no, of big... mono blue is the the exception. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, like if you're trying to play these mid range arms battles and not get got under by other decks, the combi deck like just goes way over you and does have a lot of similar in game cards in smaller numbers, but it has, you know, even bigger things than what you're trying to present. So let's go on to our Patreon questions. Mason chase asked two really good questions. I want to give you the chance to answer them. Standard seems to be relatively in a good place. Now that there isn't anyone playing the format in paper, that's not true. What steps would you like to see wizards of the coast take to renew interest in the format? Well, they've already kind of done it. I think we saw this with Pioneer, where the format was kind of not a real thing outside of online, uh, kind of like Standard is for the most part right now. And, you know, by making it the RC format, you are incentivizing people who play tournaments to get involved with Standard. And I think the biggest difference between Standard right now and Pioneer when the thing was announced is, one, people were really excited to get the RC back. So it was like all hands on deck on Pioneer. The dream's back. I want to go for that. So we saw a much bigger push for Shiner. Pioneer, sorry. But also, that RC season hasn't ended. So I think once we get past Atlanta, we're going to see a big push towards standard content and standard conversations because that will be the RC format. Now, obviously, standard changes a lot more with set releases than a uh, format like Pioneer does. So that's another part of it. But I think that they've kind of done the thing that I want them to do. And there's also the most realistic thing, which is like, if you want them to push standard, give tournaments that people are supposed to care about that are standard. So you did a great job of this and I didn't even realize a sponsor was doing it until I text them this week. The two biggest stores in Utah, Oasis Games, a former sponsor and Game Grid Lehigh, our current sponsor, 100% of their two slot RCQs are standard. The format that they're qualifying for is standard. Standard is in a good place. They didn't even need the ban for it to be in a good place, but the ban made it in a better place. It. I have never agreed with like a nerf ban in my life until today. Like that was the best ban in standard. You opened up Gruul. You opened up Mono Red. You opened up Boros. All of these decks actually saw points in our power rankings that would not have seen them before this banning. Esper is really good. And it it's the question. Like, can you overcome the number of really great Esper cards 
I think that there are a lot of mid-range decks that can do it. Like, I think Naya actually has a good Naya Wolves. I'll be really clear. I think the deck that I'm playing, Naya Wolves, has a really good Esper matchup. I think that the number of Grixis decks has a really good Esper matchup. I think that there's a lot of things that you can do to make the Esper decks that are going to go really hard on Invoke, which is the best version of the deck, by, and I don't think it's close. Like, if you get to both play Invoke and play a blue-white-black uh, 1-4, like, your deck is really good. But there's a real question here, and we get to answer as a community. I think that the question's really good here, Chase. Is there particular cards, card or cards, I should say, that are unplayed in this format? Yes. Mason, it is actually your card from the pick two set review, and it's Jaya. I actually think this card's insane. I have played it a ton. At this point, I have literally never not three to the league with this card in my deck. I think it's one of the best cards in standard. What is happening? Like, people just don't respect Planeswalkers anymore because of Liliana. Yeah, that's definitely something that is happening. And it is a weird presence on the battlefield matters so much. So, like, Planeswalkers seem to be de-emphasized a little bit. But Jaya does a good job of, like, coming down and creating a battlefield presence and also answering a bit of a battlefield presence, which is something we kind of but talked she about. Does it, she does it for, like, three turns. Yeah, 100%. And so that really kind of changes up a little bit. If when it comes to particular cards that are maybe being underplayed, the part two of that question, uh, I think Jai is a really good answer. And I think Ledger Shredder is a card that is a little surprising not to see more. It makes sense that it doesn't see as much play as it does in eternal formats because the CMC is just going to be higher in standard. But like Spencer mentioned, like that mono blue deck does not need to have a curve that high and shouldn't have to lean on casting... Cards like Thought Discovery or whatever. Terra doesn't need to be a four of. Yeah, you just, you're not giving yourself enough plays early to then kind of protect while you're doing things. And if you stick to Terra's early, that's great, but you are leaving yourself open to some like shaky draws, essentially. But a card like Ledger Shredder fixes that a little bit in multiple ways, so. I would say that the second part of this question, Shivan the Dragon, the X-Dragon, there Shivan Devastator. Yeah, that card is so good. Like, actually insane. Whether or not you're playing um, the 3-3 three, three that Abe likes, the... Um, Thunder Raiju. Yeah, the Raiju or not, this card is insane. Like, actually insane. I, I think that gruel cards are underrepresented because the blue cards are actually really good. Like... They actually are. Make Disappear, for example. We didn't get to talk about that a ton this episode. That card's insane. It's really good. So no more times you get to, like, sack a 1-1 to, like, counter a spell. Like, this card's so good. I think Gruul's underrepresented as a deck. I think that also people underplay the Gruul cards that are good. So, for example... I think Bloodthirsty Adversary, while being a Super Spencer card, holy crap, can you just win games by just putting that in your deck 
the fact that you, you one of your one drops is just pushing one one counters. Like I think Gruel is the most underplayed deck, and that would be my answer to this question. There are no questions for YouTube comments, Mason, but mm-hmm. uh, I want to tell you that you, me, a you know, all of our last YouTube comments are just mono support. Like people just are so happy that we're doing what we're doing. I really appreciate you and Abe. And I am really happy that we get to do this together. Cause like our guests have been insane. Like I would never have guessed that the guest lineup like 12 months ago, I would have never guessed this. Like we got soul. We got Jesse. Jesse's like, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't on the Jesse episode. I'm just going to shout out right now. That was maybe the best episode of CC MTG ever. Like, of all time. You I should like listen that. to that show. It was unreal. Go yeah, ahead. People seem to really like it. I, I just had a bunch of people come into the, the Twitch chat and say, like, you know, I listened to the episode a couple times uh, and got, like, a lot of it. Or, you know, something along those lines. Uh, I, multiple times throughout the weekend. It was really cool. It was cool to see people sort of get it. And, uh, you know, it, it is hard to say that people... It's weird, right? Because people don't know Jesse kind of on a wider scale, yet they obviously do. She's had kind of this New York rise in the last 10 months. And we kind of talk on the episode, and it's been really cool to kind of be there from liftoff to, you know, keep seeing the ascent and uh, how smart she is and, you know, hey, why I'll, I talk to her so much. I'll go well, super part of why, Also a good person. But, you know. I'll go super deep. Mason, sure. your biggest influence in magic was me and Trey. Her biggest influence was you. And, like, to see the progression that we got from that episode, I was crying. Like, I straight up had tears listening to it. I think you're better at magic than I will ever be right now. Like, with my kids, with, like, the things that I'm doing. And to hear how you impacted Jesse on that episode was unbelievable. I'm so grateful that anything that I could do but help you impact a player like that. And I thank you. Thank you for making this show part of that legacy for her. Of course. Thank you for you know everything you've done to help. And you, you hadn't told me that, you know, you cried and felt that way about the episode, but it's good to hear that it was. Uh, I'm going to cry now. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you're all good. You're all good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's unbelievable. Like I listened, I could hear essence of Michael, essence of me, essence of Casey at like, the things that she learned, like I could hear how you helped her. Yeah, it was interesting. It's interesting to kind of hear her talk about it too on the show. It was I don't know. It was cool to have her on. And uh, you know, so I talk with a lot and like, you know, spent 40 minutes this morning when I drove to work talking to her about something with Magic this morning, you know. So it's really kind of cool. I know. I I love it. If you want to listen to the rest of the network, uh, you can check out the drafting archetypes episode, the common knowledge episode this episode honestly mason one of our episodes was nominated this this year for the mpg creative content awards and it was awesome it was it was sam people told me that they nominated us but it was actually too late we joined me you and abe too late to get into this year's Mm. episodes 
honestly, I think that the changes that have happened between the network are really great. If you want to be better at popper, limited, or constructed, this is the network for you. So, Mason, thank you for being a part of that. If you want to like, sub, or review, or comment, it helps the show a ton. Mason, they, they have Spotify reviews now. Do you know what we're rated? I didn't know they had Spotify reviews. No. What are we rated? A 10 out of 4? So there Best is, ever do it. out of 5, we are 4.8. Dang, I actually like that, because if you have a 5-star rating, I assume you have one review. So if you have a hater, you've made it. <laughs> We do have if you're a, a content creator. If we you're have, a content creator, you don't have a hater, eight, you haven't made we it. We have 18 reviews and a 4.8 rating. If you mm. love the show, go to Spotify, give us a review. If you're oh. on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Mason. I just gave us a four. That's uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I was so sad. Uh, <laughs> I love you. I really appreciate you sharing. Your knowledge. I'm so grateful that I could be a little part of you. Mason, if people want to support you directly, they don't just want to support this podcast. They want to see what Mason's thinking. Where can they do that? Uh, you can head over to twitter.com at Mason E. Clark. Uh, the underscore, you'll find me there. Uh, you find me writing for Card Kingdom each and every week. Uh, this week, I think it is a standard article. Maybe it's next week. I don't remember actually what I pitched, but pretty sure it's standard. Uh, so you can check out that if you want to check out that each and every week on Thursday over there at Card Kingdom. Check me out twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. I am very close, Spencer, to hitting the partner status. I need to stream three more days at the same viewership I've had, and we hit, assuming they approve it. So that'd be really cool. And yeah, you can find everything there and everything on my social media. Uh, if you're interested in coaching, feel free to reach out via DMs and all that sort of thing to find me, and uh, I'm happy to have a conversation with you about it. I've coached two people this last week on... Not this last this last month on um, LinkedIn and on Magic, and I think I'm in a pretty good position. If you are looking for coaching, reach out to me directly. The first session will always be free. I appreciate the people that have reached out to me this month. I've done a lot while I've been absent from the podcast, and actually helped multiple podcast listeners in my absence. And those who have reached out to me and that I've helped, I really appreciate it. So uh, you can find the network every week on iTunes podcasts or Spotify podcasts. But if you want to leave a review directly, please do so. Give us five stars. Mason has to eat a full apple every time you leave a five-star review. And we really appreciate that. But if you love Legacy, Mason, you did something special. Yeah, so I, I got to run and kind of host this thing with Honorog um, this past weekend, which was uh, Heritage, is what I've learned people call the format. Basically, it's Legacy with no supplementary products. So Modern Horizons, Boulder Gate, Commander, you know, all those sort of things, they are not part of the format. It has to have come through a standard legal set. And we actually already ran the tournament last weekend, uh, and it happened. You know, we got to have a lot of really big names like Jerry Thompson, Caleb Dorwald, uh, Brian Koval, Brian Cook all part of this tournament and we streamed the whole thing and it's going to be up on honor youtube channel uh it was really cool to do commentary uh I, that's what i did uh for it, along with kind of organizing it all and uh, i got to do it with uh, my friend dom harvey uh which you probably know from the sg tour or from dominaria's judgment uh, another kind of modern magic podcast and it was really great 
And uh, yeah, if you can show a little support for that, that's great. I really like doing commentary for Magic. And so, you know, if you want to see me in the booth with Joe Lucetta and RG, we got to push it, baby. So, uh, but no, but if you like the idea of that format too, it might be cool to check out. If you want to see Mason Clark do coverage for the final two RCQs for Utah, leave a comment. Let me know because I can make him run it. I can pay him dollars. Let me know when. I got to know, Mason. Did you tell Jerry that multiple people... Message. No, I didn't tell. I, I didn't say multiple people. I said people. And then Jerry said who? And I said there was one because one person <laughs> did tag Jerry on my thing. And Jerry is like a historical person in that time of legacy that was really yeah. influential. And also his podcast kind of sparked the conversation. So also Jerry's just a friend of mine. And, you know, to keep it a spade, you know, Jerry's also very popular in magic. So when it came time to reach out to people, Wild. it's like, couldn't yeah, believe it's like, that he would be that popular during this specific format. Yeah, also, exactly. Mono means. Yeah, and yeah, so it's just kind of like, you know, influential player, someone who has a big say in that time, someone that was tagged. And honestly, I put that thing up, it had like 90 comments. A lot of the same people got tagged. I reached out to about, let's say, 20 people and got three no's and one yes, and then realized they couldn't do it. And so, like you know, so who who was the, who was the person that got had the most that did the best? Had the most that did the best. Uh, I can't remember now. I want to say XJ Cloud. The uh, he got third or fourth, depending on how you look at it. And uh, he was tagged a bunch. You can find me at Spencer Thirteen H. You can find Mason at Mason Clark underscore Intel next. Wait, none of it matters. You're gonna unbanned. Yeah, but then I'll be Mason E. Clark. Maybe I know I'm still in conversations with Twitter. I, I have been going back and forth. Elon Musk. Elon Musk bought it, buddy. You're just about to be unbanned. Uh, he has not bought it. He is actually prolonging the court case, and it looks like trying no, to wiggle no, his way out of it. No, he just no, 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 he no. just conceded. Did, no, 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 no. He conceded to go to court, but he's actually trying to get the court case dismissed. Which a lot of people think if he does that, he can back out again. Whereas this court case will probably make him have to go through with it. Listen, I am very in the know on the Elon Musk situation. Here's the thing. I will never back out on you, the listener. Uh, updated Nia Wolves list. If you want to beat John Wingrace, you cannot lose with the deck list I posted. We'll see you guys on next week with another episode of Constructed Criticism. <laughs>